Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual, because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal. Is it mankind's duty to capture the paranormal? And then we travel to a house. A house on the edge of the woods. But this house has a dark secret. A secret you can only see at night. A secret only you can see when it's looking at you. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Nathan Garvin. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. Hope you guys have some awesome plans for the weekend. I'm supposed to be going to a goth party tonight. A goth themed party and i'm thinking about dressing up as a visigoth you know like one of those old-timey i'm so lazy i'm just not gonna dress up as anything i'll just walk in being like oh i didn't know there was theme parties nothing but the cure is playing i'll probably buy some clove cigarettes and smoke those in the corner that's about as much effort as i'm gonna put into it but somebody who puts effort into every single thing he does Someone who never quits. Running into Dead Rabbit Command right now. Everyone get on your feet and give it up for our newest Patreon supporter, Jim Crowley. Woohoo, yeah! <laughs> Wee, yeah! He's jumping up and down, doing jumping jacks, running around in goth makeup. He's also, he's also super goth. Jim Crowley, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the show financially, I totally understand. I really, really do. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps out so much. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone you know, Dead Rabbit Radio is your favorite paranormal show. I also want to say, too, I was recently, I'll talk about this more next week, but there is a podcast called Into the Obscure, and they just did an interview with me this week, and it was a lot of fun. It really was. The hour flew by. I wish we had more time to talk. The show's hosted by Jenny, Kara, and Friend of Dead Rabbit Radio, Tressa. I've been on also on her Asylum podcast. Really fun show, really fun interview. I'll put that episode in the show notes. Lots and lots of fun. So check them out too this weekend, Into the Obscure. There's many more interviews on that podcast. They interviewed a bunch of people. It's a paranormal show too, I guess. I should probably say that. You're like, what? What is it? Do they interview scientists? Paranormal scientists? Jim Crowley... Let's go ahead. I'm going to toss you the hair hang glider. Jump off the highest point of Dead Rabbit Command. We're going to glide all the way out to 
Jolly old England. This story actually wasn't on the docket, but when Jim Crowley sent me his email, maybe he wants, maybe he doesn't want me to use his full name now that I think about it. Maybe he goes by the name Crowley's Keep. Maybe it's, maybe I shouldn't be clear about that. Anyways, he's like, ah, I've been doxxed. He's like, ah, I, I wasn't supposed to be connected to your insane podcast. He's burning documents in his office. He's like, it's not me, it's the other Jim Crowley. He said, um, he goes, if you haven't recorded the episode yet, Crowley is pronounced like cow with an R. That might be the most, <laughs> might be the most confusing way. Crowley, it's not Crowley, it's Crowley. I, I guess that rhymes with cow. But he, he wrote this, he wrote this little message to me and it reminded me of, I've, I've thought about covering this in the past. I'll just cover it right now. Let's travel back to 1900s Victorian England. We're about to meet Alistair Crowley. I, I say we're about to meet. Everyone on this podcast has probably heard that name at least a dozen times. If you're into the paranormal, Alistair Crowley, he is... For I mean, this is the reason why <laughs> this is the reason why I haven't covered this story before. It requires either a ton of background information or I can gloss over all of it because I know you guys know a lot about it. So I'm just going to say, Aleister Crowley was a very well known, very famous magician. Not like cruise ship magician, like let me pull a rabbit out of my hat, but uh, more like magic, more like a Magic the Gathering type magic. And <laughs> he wasn't playing those cards either. He's like, oh, I pulled Jack the Ripper, tapped to assassinate seven prostitutes. No. Like magic, like, like, magic. <laughs> we know what you mean by magic. This is a paranormal podcast. I don't know why you think you have to keep explaining what magic is. You go, I don't need to explain who Alistair Crowley is, but clearly my audience doesn't know what the term magic is. He was a magician. He cast spells. And at this point in the 1900s, this is going to be a quick overview, but I think this story is so funny. In the early 1900s, he was a member of this magical group called the Golden Dawn. He's actually uh, really like deep in with them. And there was a split. We see this all the time in any sort of organization, whether it's like a corporate organization or a cult. Religions do this all the time. So would a magical lodge. There's a schism. There's always going to be a break between people who want to go one way, people who want to go the other way. So anyways, Crowley was like, this stuff's hella lame, dude. Where's my fireballs? Where's my shivan dragons? And they're like, that stuff doesn't exist. Those are just on trading cards. And he's like, no, I need the real stuff. So he decides to break off from the Golden Dawn. But the problem is, is that at the Golden Dawn headquarters in on Blythe Road, we're in England, they had all of these documents. They had like these really cool spells. He's like, what was that? What was that? What was that way? That magical way to open a door? Oh no, drats have been stopped from stealing them. If only I could get those spells that would allow me to get those spells, I'd be fine. Well, he he is like, I need, I'm going to go in there and just take them. So what happened was apparently he's like, I'm just going to like walk in there. with. He had like daggers hidden on him because of course, right? He's a magician. He's not going to walk in with like a pistol. That's like a super low class. 
he's going to walk in with a knife, like probably a, probably one of those curved knives too that magicians use. <laughs> magicians use on the cover of fantasy novels as they're killing maidens. He goes to the Golden Dawn headquarters on Blythe Road, and he's like, "I'm just going to take. I'm going to take it." And if they don't just give it to me because I'm Aleister Crowley, I'm going to cast some spells on them because I'm a I'm a magician. I'm a wizard. And if that doesn't work, if that doesn't work, I have an assortment of daggers, right? If I can't, if the, spells, the spells for some reason don't work, I'll stab my way up to these documents. Well, anyways, so he comes in to this house. I'll put this, I'll put this article in the show notes. It, I found it on this website called Mental Floss. It was written by Ken Osea Jr. It's pretty funny. There's, he goes into the house. Alistair Crowley goes into the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. That's their full name. And one of the members of this group was this poet named William Butler Yeats. William Butler Yeats. He's like one of the most famous poets of the 20th century. I clearly have heard of him and not just vaguely familiar with his name. He was one of the 20th century's most renowned poets. And he was also a practicing magic user. That's probably why his poems are so memorable. Because it's like little spells. Maybe, right? Put on your conspiracy cap. William Yeats is standing on the top of the stairs. And a couple other guys. And Aleister Crowley shows up and he's like, just give me the documents. Nobody has to get hurt. And Yeats and the other dudes are like, we're not giving, those are like spells. <laughs> You're already a lunatic. We're all, we've already kicked you out of our group. He's like, I left. It was my decision. Whatever. Doesn't matter. You're not getting these magic spells so there's a bunch of witnesses to this Aleister Crowley starts walking up the stairs and going and he's like casting spells and so the golden dawn at the top of the stairs are like fight magic with magic right by lover's light and queen of Sheba here comes a giant zebra (laughs) nothing would happen I mean, these are just guys chanting at each other. It's not like a zebra actually appeared. Alistair Crowley's like, ah, your magic is real. Your magic's actually real. They're like, ha, ha, ha. That's what was in those secret documents. They're just yelling curses at each other. And Alistair Crowley's walking up the stairs and he's like, eye of Newt and toad of baby. They're like, what? That's not even a thing. He's like, ah, that's why I need your spells. They're yelling spells at each other. Nothing's happening. There's no sparks flying. Snakes aren't turning into people and biting him. Or people turning into snakes and biting him, which would be more effective. It's just like a guy appears in front of you and bites you. You're like, ah, it's okay. I mean, I'll have to wash it later, but better than getting bit by a snake. Anyways, Aleister Crowley's walking up the stairs and the Golden Dawn is like, throw the fireballs, metaphorical fireballs. <laughs> of course, we don't want to burn down this building and we can't make fireballs shoot out of our fingers yet. From the Lamb of Zeus to the waters of Persephone. Ooh. <laughs> I can't think of anything that rhymes with Persephone. He's like, oh. Uh, and then he's just like, okay, this isn't going to work. So what happened was, it's so funny, Alistair Crowley, all these are all adult men. Listen, I believe in magic. I think it actually works. But I would have loved to just see these two guys. <laughs> I would have loved to see Alistair Crowley versus a group of guys just yell at each other. It spells. 
Well, anyways, Aleister Crowley is just, I mean, because it's not working. <laughs> it's like, imagine if a burglar broke into your house and you're like, I cast the evil eye on you. They're like, uh, okay, you keep looking at me and I'm just going to steal all your stuff. Aleister Crowley keeps walking up the stairs until eventually he gets, like, right up to where William Butler Yeats was and his dudes. And when Aleister Crowley got to the top of the stairs, they they just kicked him. They just kicked him out hard and he fell down the stairs and then left. And apparently, they also called the police. They basically got an old-timey restraining order. It's like written on parchment with a drawing of Aleister Crowley's face. They're like, you can't come here anymore. <laughs> I mean, they could say, well, that was a spell. We've cast a barrier spell, but really it was a legal order saying... You're not allowed to come back anymore. Plus, also getting kicked down the stairs. It's probably going to ruin your reputation. It's kind of hard to say, well, my spells work. As you have, like, an ice pack on your noggin. Fantastic story. What happens when real-life magic meets a couple of feet, right? That, that, I guess that is the moral. I guess that's the moral of the story if you're a magician. Don't get, don't get within physical striking distance of your enemy. Fascinating, fascinating story. Jim Crowley. He says he's not related to that. I'll I'll quote him exactly. I'm not related to that big pervert wizard. So there you go. He's he's clearly, clearly taking the side of William Butler Yeats, who coincidentally yeeted Aleister Crowley down the stairs. That's probably how he got that name. His probably name was William Butler before that. Crowley's Keep... Let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're going to leave behind old-timey Britain. Drive us all the way out to the Appalachian Mountains. Nice, leisurely drive out there. Pretty cool, right? We're going out to the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. We've done a couple episodes in the Appalachians. Now it's a huge mountain range. It's like, I don't know big i don't know exactly how big i'm trying to think of maps i've seen i'd probably say i'd probably guesstimate half you're already shaking your head you're like i don't it's not half of anything jason i'd probably say half of the mid is there, there's a midwest isn't there a mid east like arkansas and uh all those states arkansas and uh louisiana all those states that are kind of louisiana south but you know what i mean like you're not actually on the coast it's not the Midwest. It's called the Mideast, I think. Illinois. Illinois is up there. Anyways, uh, Foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. <laughs> Look it up on a map. This is the laziest episode. I was like, oh, these two rival magician groups? Boring. I don't want to research that. I just, I, I just want to watch a guy get kicked down the stairs. Anyways, we're at the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains, somewhere in the Mideast of the United States. We're about to meet this young woman. We'll call her Tracy. She's 17 years old, it's nighttime, and she's at a bonfire party. We were like, throw some more sticks on there, Bruce. I got it, Joey. Yeah. Woohoo! Watch it burn. Watch it burn. They're having a big bonfire. And Tracy's kind of sitting there inhaling all this smoke. And her friend, who she is the designated driver for, Clint, he's like, I think it's time to leave. <laughs> It's Bill Cosby. He's like, oh, the pudding pops in my tummy. Oh, making me a little sleepy. Clint is drunk. Like, he's 
at a certain point, she thinks he's going to throw up. And he wants to go home, and she is his designated driver. She's like, yeah, let's get out of here. So Clint's in the backseat. Tracy's driving through the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. They're headed home. They live in this general area. She's been down this road multiple times before and since this event. It's dark out while she's driving around, so not the best visibility. The headlights are doing their job, but she's driving through these secluded roads. She said the town that we lived in was very spread out. A little piece here, you go for a while, little piece here, go for a while, little piece there. And she says that there's this hill that they always go through. Again, she's been on this drive so many times. You go to the top of this hill, and it's just like a long descent, and then you're pretty much to where her home was, where her and Clint, their neighborhood. She says she gets to the top of the hill, and something catches her eye. Something catches her eye right when she's at the top. And she looks to the right of the car, so she's looking out the passenger side window. And... Standing there or walking very slowly, one of the two, like she, it must have been moving for it to kind of catch her eye, but she looks over and she sees outside the car, right on the side of the road, she sees a garden gnome. She goes, it looked exactly like a garden gnome would. She had long beard, gnome clothes. You know, kind of like they had homemade, hand-stitched clothes. She didn't particularly say it had the big red cone hat. It, it clearly wasn't a human, though. It looked like a garden gnome statue out there. And when she sees it, she stops the car immediately, and she gets this intense feeling of fear. She's terrified. Because even though it looks like a garden gnome, like a little statue, she can tell it's alive. And it's staring right at her. So she begins to... She figures, listen, uh, maybe it was all that smoke I was inhaling. Maybe I'm really, really tired. Something has to be going on. I must be hallucinating. And she reached her hand to the back seat. Clint... Clint, wake up. Wake, wake up. The pudding pops. Clint, wake up. But she can't get Clint to wake up, and she's just sitting there at the top of this hill, and she's staring at this gnome, and the gnome is staring back at her. So she starts to just drive away. She's driving along the road, and the gnome is now walking as fast as the car is driving. Right alongside the car. Not trying to get in, not chasing the car per se, but walking alongside the car as she's driving. And she speeds up. And the gnome's walking a little bit faster but still keeping pace with the car. And now she's speeding away. Or trying to. Because no matter how fast she goes, that gnome can keep up with the car. It's just running next to it. She's not gaining an inch on this thing. 
And she said it happened the other way as well. When I slowed down, he slowed down. And in an interesting bit of insight with this paranormal story, I thought it was interesting. She said, yeah, I don't know why I slowed down either. Like when she looks back on it, she goes, why? She goes, I felt threatened by this thing. But at the same time, I slowed down the car and I don't know why I did that. I have a couple theories and we'll get to those in the end. But she will then speed the car up again and the gnome starts running. Like, she cannot shake this gnome. He's outside the car the entire time. And at this point now, she's going down the hill towards their house. And as she's coming down the hill, Clint starts to kind of move around in the back seat. And he has to throw up. He has to throw up or get some fresh air or both. You know, Tracy's got bigger things on her mind, right? There's a gnome outside, but she hears Clint wrestling in the back seat, and he kind of props himself up and begins to roll down the passenger side window of the back seat of the car, and he looks out and begins screaming at the top of his lungs. He sees the gnome as well. At that point, Tracy pedal to the metal. She's pushing this car as fast as it can go. It's late at night. It's dark. They're in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. She's driving down this hill as fast as she can, and that gnome is keeping pace. It is running 60, 70 miles an hour now. Until they get to the bottom of the hill. This all started at the top. They're driving along this path and then they start to go down. And she said, when we got down to the bottom of the hill, the gnome jumped into the bushes. A boing. She didn't say there was sound effect, but I'm assuming there was. And her and Clint get home okay. A little rattled, right? A little startled to see a gnome. She goes, listen, I've been on that road a thousand times before and since and never seen anything like that. Probably probably would have stopped taking the road at some point if I knew it was a gnome road. She said both me and Clint saw it. She posted this online as Baylor Grays. But she goes, you know, me and my friend saw it. I don't know exactly what it is. I mean, I do know exactly what it was. It was a gnome and there's nothing else it could have been. It looked exactly like a gnome. What was interesting, though, we've covered other stories from the Appalachian area. One of them did involve gnomes. I think it was either a gnome or some other small creature that, like, fairy tale creature that had killed a winged fairy. Like, your little girl's fairy got sniped by a garden gnome or a trollish type creature. I'll, I'll try to put the other Appalachian episodes in the show notes. And what's interesting is in all those other episodes, someone would experience something, they'd go back home, and one of the relatives would be like, yup, that's what it's like living up here. Pretty common, like that was a common theme. And this one, she goes, I went and talked to my grandma. She'd been in the area a long time. She's a grandma. She goes, grandma, grandma, the other day I was driving home, saw a gnome. Grandma's like, what? (laughs) 
What are you talking about? Yeah, I saw a gnome. You've never seen a gnome out here? Grandma's like, nope. That's insane. She goes, my grandma, she's seen weird stuff in the woods, but she'd never seen a gnome. So that's interesting because normally the stories are like, I told you, Billy, not to go out into the woods. I told you to watch out for those little creatures. And this one, the grandma's like, I have no idea. I mean, obviously the grandma knows what she's talking about. Everyone's seen a gnome, but the grandma, like a gnome on TV or a gnome in someone's garden. But And I wanted to say, it's a fascinating story. Two things. One, I think the reason why she slowed down was because even though she was scared, the brain is trying to process something that shouldn't exist. And it's the same way when I don't I, I don't I think I edited this out of yesterday's episode because it went on a little long but the other day I thought I saw maybe I did talk about it but I'm pretty sure I cut it out just the other day I was in my bathroom I was washing my hands I did do other people look down when they wash their hands or, or like do people stare at themselves in the mirror as they wash their hands I always like look down while I wash my hands and now that I think about it that doesn't make sense because it's not like I'm like actually looking for mud on my hands to clean off washing your hands is almost kind of like symbolic like i just put soap everywhere on my hands like i don't get the back of my hands dirty but i still wash them and i look down at my hands and i wash them and then i look up at myself in the mirror does everybody, does everybody do this is this or is this just a weird jason thing i look at my hands as i'm washing them and then i look up in the mirror and I look at myself and I'm like, yep, yep, I've not Mandela effect into a different person in the 30 seconds it took me to wash my hands. And then I'll dry my hands off. I do it all the time. I do it like that all the time. I also have this weird ritual. I don't know if it's a ritual, but when I take a shower, I soap, soapy myself up, right? I get on myself all soapy and then I rinse it off and then I wash my hair. And I thought about it. I go, why don't I get all soapy? And then put all the shampoo in my hair and then just rinse myself off all at once. Like, that's kind of a waste of time to wash my body off and be like, ah, oh, not a speck, of, not a speck of suds on this delectable body. Good job, Jason. And then to cover my head in shampoo and be like, ah, I forgot this part. It's weird. But anyway, so when I the other night, it was just uh, I think it was last night or the night before I was washing my hands and I looked up and I thought I saw a man in the mirror. <laughs> it wasn't Michael Jackson. It wasn't my, I wish. I love Michael Jackson. But anyways, probably wouldn't want him standing behind me in a bathroom. <laughs> to be fair, I do love Michael Jackson. That might be a little too much for me. Um, <laughs> anyways, I look up, I see a man in the mirror and it looked like he was kind of walking towards me. Not like super fast, like yesterday's story. It was just kind of a weird moment i look up and i thought i saw someone in the mirror behind me and i go ah and then uh sabine was over my friend sabine and i said hey because she had to use the bathroom too i go hey just let you know i think <laughs> i think i just saw someone sneak up behind me my bathroom's so small my bathroom can't even hold two people at the same time she's probably like what no she knows like i'm in the paranormal and all that stuff i was like just to let you know if you see anything creepy in here that I saw someone sneak up behind me. But this is what I'm getting at. When that happened, I then immediately began to try to replicate it. Like after I went, ah, I go, wait a second, that's not real. Like obviously my kitchen, can't, my bathroom can't hold two people. So it must have been a trick of the light or something. So I, then I started looking down at my hands and lifting my head up real fast. And looking down at my hands and lifting to try to replicate the same movement. 
to see if it was an optical illusion. I couldn't get it to replicate exactly or even close, but I still don't know if that meant anything or if I actually saw something or there's a hundred different factors, right? I'm on a, I'm always on a bunch of different medicine, but I recently went across the state border to buy some real Sudafed. Could have been that. Could have been a bunch of stuff. But anyways, the reason why I say that is like you do have a natural tendency to want to try to debunk it. And that's why I think she may have been like, wait a second, I'm driving, it's keeping up, this might be some sort of optical illusion. Even though she was terrified of it, she slows down, and that's just confirming that it's real. Because how many times have we been tricked by an optical illusion, or been scared by the sound of something that was a natural noise, but we think it's something else? So I think that's what that is. But I do also want to say this. She's driving down the road, Gnome, gets to the bottom of the hill, Gnome disappears and this is kind of what I was going to in the beginning, and I'll try not to talk too long about this. We might have to keep Jim Crowley, a.k.a. Crowley's Keep on standby if we don't get to the dark bathroom story. Save it for Monday. Is it... This is an interesting question because I've seen it addressed with Bigfoot, specifically. Is it humanity's responsibility or... No, no, we'll keep that word. We'll keep that word. We we capture animals and put them in zoos so people can learn about animals. We don't do it just because we're a bunch of sickos. We're like, oh, you know what I want to do tonight? Ruin a lion's day. So you go and you grab a lion, you throw him in a box, and then write, ship to America. Any zoo USA. The reason why we have zoos are because people who would never, ever see a real-life lion in person before it's educational. It can go to the zoo and be like, oh, look at that. That's pretty cool looking. He's so walking around. He's all sad. He's all sobbing in the corner. I want my mommy. I listen. It's been, <laughs> it's been decades since I've been to a zoo. Zoos are one of those things that in theory, I love them. I love that they're real. But on the other hand, they it's sad, right? There is a sadness to it. I'm sure that the people who work at the zoos are super nice. I saw this documentary once called The Zookeeper. All the animals talk to Kevin James. So I'm sure, like, I would assume most zoos, here might be my naivete, but most zoos are probably pretty chill places to go. Don't send me, don't send me any proof, proof contrary to that. You can tell me I'm wrong. I just don't want to get a bunch of links to, like, gorillas with scabies and be like, this is what you, this is where your money goes every time you buy cotton candy or a, gorilla-shaped balloon you gave that <laughs> every time you do that this girly gets one scabie i'm like no and you know I, it, it's probably not the best like i would rather be here's the question would you rather be a gorilla that lives to be three because another gorilla steps on your brains or would you rather be 23 but you live in a zoo Keep that, that question basically makes my next question horrible. Does humanity have a responsibility to capture the paranormal? Like, if we could capture a fairy, capture a gnome, capture a werewolf, and put them in a zoo, not some millionaire or billionaire's private collection that no one gets to see imagine if you could go to the zoo 
All these people are locked up behind bars. I'm not an animal. Well, you're an animal on a full moon, buddy. You are a werewolf. We wouldn't call it a zoo. We would call it an exhibit house or something like that. And you would walk in there and there'd be a gnome. There'd just be a gnome behind glass. He's still alive, right? He has his little hat. We'll give him a pipe. See a fairy. We see a three-inch tall little girl with wings flying around. It's this super depressing, dude. You're describing jail. You're describing jail for fictional, or not fictional, like paranormal creatures. Imagine though, if you could go. Imagine the. Imagine how cool it would be, right? You go to this zoo. What is it called? <laughs> call it a zoo, right? We can't church it up that much. It's a zoo. It's probably a step above a prison, honestly. But imagine this: you're sitting at home. And your friend calls you up and is like, yo, dude, guess what tonight is? And you're like, what, what, what? And they're like, full moon. You're like, what? Awesome, dude. You put on your full moon jersey, your full moon hat, and you go to the zoo and you see a guy in a cage. And he's like, no, no. Ah, don't watch my torment, my curse, my curse, my pain is your enjoyment. And then we're like, yay, feed the werewolf. We're buying peanuts. He's like, I have a nut allergy. I don't even eat peanuts. Ah. And then you can watch a man, like right in front of you, turn into a werewolf. That would be amazing. That would be so awesome, right? That would be, and then he's like walking around as a werewolf and stuff like that. And then you're like throwing lamb guts in there. He's eating them up. And then the next morning, you want to be there, right? After he eats the lamb, we're like, ah, oh, it's kind of boring. Now that he's all covered in blood, he's just kind of sitting in the corner reflecting on his life. He's like, oh, man, why did I have to be caught? How come I can't be roaming the Romanian wilderness still? We leave, and then by the time the sun comes up, he's just a naked man covered in blood. Two more shows. <laughs> Full moon is three nights. He got two more shows. And the rest of the month, he just hangs out in the zoo. He's still behind bars. We couldn't let him out. That would be horrible. But imagine, though, like that. Like, if you could have caught this gnome, you're driving on the road, you just swerve a little. He's keeping up with the car, but we don't know, how, like, how agile he is. You just swerve a little. And you hit him with the car. And then you throw the gnome in the back seat. <laughs> Your friend's all drunk in the back seat. He hasn't woken up yet. And he's like, oh, I think I want to throw up. There's an unconscious. <laughs> you wake up. There's an unconscious gnome on top of you bleeding through his ears. You're like, what? <laughs> what is going on? What's going on? And you're like, no, no, no. I hit him. I hit him. And then you take him to the doctor or the vet, whoever works on gnomes. And then you take him to the doctor. You take him to the doc. Fixes him up. You, you, we Should we put him in a zoo? I don't think it's that bad. And I think it would be... Here's the thing. Listen, you could say it's cruel and inhumane. You could say it's evil, monstrous. Complete and utter lack of empathy. All of those. But it that's true. Probably would be a lot of those. But it would also be very awesome. And it would be a huge learning experience, right? Then when people go... Imagine if your kid said, is the boogeyman real? And instead of lying to him and saying no... You would say, yes, the boogeyman is real, young man. But luckily, he's locked up at the zoo. Let's go see him. And then you go to the zoo, and you go to the boogeyman exhibit. And it's like this giant closet 
behind glass. Everything has to be behind glass because these things are extremely dangerous. These things will kill you. The gnome can run as fast as a car. Like, you cannot escape this guy. She's lucky she ran him over. It's this giant closet, and then, like, you stand outside, and the door opens up, and the boogeyman comes out. Like, how amazing would that be? To know that all this stuff's real. It's funny because a lot of times on the show I say, I don't care if other people believe in the paranormal. That's not my job. That's not even one of my goals is to get other people to believe in it. I believe in it. I don't believe in all of it. But I believe in certain parts of it. That's true. I, I think some people make it really, really the biggest point for them to try to convince others try to get proof they're never going to believe it but this imagine if the boogeyman was in jail it wouldn't even be a debatable issue people would be like what ghosts aren't real and you're like you open up the newspaper it's all this week 10 new ghosts trapped souls trying to get to heaven we caught them guys it's these picture of these sad people just kind of floating around it's like a circus you go to the circus and you ghost clowns and like ghost gorillas a ghost trapeze artist She's just floating there. That's not super impressive. We're like, oh, if she if she slips, she's just going to float away. That's not a big thing. But then you wouldn't know. And you would be able to study them, too. You would have scientists being like, we want to create this drug that'll cure cancer. What if we gave cancer to a werewolf? And when he turns into a werewolf, will the dog have cancer? The guy's like, please, no. no. It's bad enough when you're throwing peanuts at me. No don't give me cancer. They're like, ah, you know, you're in the zoo. You don't have a lot of rights. And you could find that out, right? Because if wolves have a healing ability, you figure it might be able to cure cancer. Gnomes, what diseases could they possibly cure? Like you could probably take a gnome to a laboratory and say, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> what can we possibly do to this tiny body? That could help modern science maybe they could at least help us run faster right we can figure out how those knees work how those tiny little knees work do all sorts of great things now again i'm not saying that we should murder these animals <laughs> i'm not saying we should <laughs> that's a freudian slip see you know what's funny is i'm talking about this and i'm going to be completely honest in the back of my head i'm thinking I'm going to get beat up. I'm going to get beat up by a gnome tonight. Because obviously, if the world of the paranormal is real, and I do believe a lot of it is real, I don't think it. I don't think we live in a bubble. Yes, sure, I'm not in the Appalachian Mountains where this gnome is. But is there like an astral internet where the ghosts in my area could be like, dude, this guy has lost the plot. We've been listening to Dead Rabbit. Right? We don't have choice. We're stuck in his haunted house. We're like, oh, great. He's recording another episode. <laughs> They're all trying to ghost kill themselves. I wonder if a ghost in Oregon could be like, yo, put the word out. He's saying that it, this is, he's just, he's just lost the plot. Now he's talking about catch running over gnomes and throwing them in jail. Is it possible that like a gnome could come after me? Is that, is that how this podcast ends? They find me with a giant hole in my body. The cops are like, oh, it looks like he got stabbed. By a giant hat, possibly red. And if it wasn't red already, it is now because it's soaked in blood. Pro probably not. Probably not. Well, the you know, the astral internet thing, that's an interesting... I just thought of that. Like, would they... That's... Now that's... Uh, I'll have to save that for a different episode. Because that is 
super interesting. I've never thought about that before. I think generally we've been under, now my brain's flipping out on that. The idea that it's fairly regional. That's super interesting. I'm thinking about that. Like if a goat, could a, could a ghost who's haunting a house in Oregon communicate with let's just let's get the gnomes out of it because i think i've pissed them off enough can a ghost in oregon communicate with a ghost in new york why or why not i'm gonna have to think about that because on the one hand i i I don't see why they wouldn't be able to Maybe if they were actually trapped in a haunted house, that would be the one limiting factor. But if it was a ghost that was not particularly stuck in one location, but simply visiting one location, especially if the ghost is like tied to a particular person or an item, does that mean that ghost... Well, you know, it's funny. We did that episode recently about a ghost in a haunted house, haunted gas station, who was limited to the information in that gas station. So that might answer that. So I guess, I guess I can talk as much trash about gnomes as I want. They're not going to find out. What a fun way to end the week. I know a lot of you guys probably think he's really phoning in these endings. They're not as spooky or creative as they used to be. And you're right. I wouldn't say I'm phoning them in. The endings, that for a couple hundred episodes, the endings are really on point. But I remember thinking, that I can't do that as much anymore. It's too hard. Maybe I, maybe it is. They're like, Jason, that's the definition of phoning it in. But no, I remember for a while. But you know, it's so funny just to sit back and reminisce about this podcast. Like it's been going on for five years. Like it's gotten to the point where there is a retro rabbit. There are older episodes. There are older ways the show is done and all that stuff. But anyway, I don't want to end it by saying how much, how grateful I am of the show i've done that a couple times this week jim crowley aka crowley's keeper gonna have you back for monday to be in the carpenter copter to finally get to that story about the dark bathroom i'm glad i was able to hang out with you guys today i would like to hear what you guys have to think about should we capture cryptids and i see it's so funny i want to i'll end it on the bigfoot thing because this is important Matt Moneymaker, he was a, he is a big Bigfoot expert. I saw him speak live at the George Norrie event over the summer. I never really followed his career. Um, I think he's pretty cool. Like the hour that he spoke, he said some really interesting things. One, about that he believes Bigfoot is a biological creature, not interdimensional, because it has a migration pattern. We see it in North America, Asia, and... Um, like russia area so like like high up east europe asia that he goes he goes if it was an interdimensional thing we'd see it in south america we'd see it on islands we'd see it in antarctica we don't see it anywhere it looks like the migration pattern of a natural animal super fascinating i never thought about it before another thing he goes because people were talking about capturing bigfoots he goes you can't he goes not that you physically can't i'm sure that you can but that's so inhumane Because the Bigfoot, if it's a biological creature, especially one that is as intelligent as we think they are, that would be like throwing a person in a jail. And again, that was something I go, you know, I don't care if other people believe, but at the same time, I also 
don't think we should destroy evidence or opportunities for people to look at whether or not this stuff is real. And capturing a gnome or capturing a fairy or a chupacabra, you know, some of them are dumber than others. Like, obviously, chupacabras is dumb as brick. We got a lot of stupid cryptids out there that just are, if the chupacabra even exists, he's one of the cryptids that I'm pretty sure doesn't. But, I mean, if you have a Bigfoot that's an actual, like, human, some break off the human chain, probably don't want to put him in jail, but a gnome, right? Even though it looks human. And it has human emotions and human face and human intelligence. If you had a gnome in jail, or I mean, sorry, if you had a gnome in this existence house or whatever I called it, exhibit house, that would be cool. You could go and you could tell your kids about gnomes and you could look at one safely. It's safely behind glass. Then you go to the fairy exhibit. Then you could go to the troll exhibit like you're walking over this bridge and there's like this giant monster underneath it trying to eat your kids it laughs all around it'd be fantastic so do you i'm curious this is your homework for the weekend let me know you can hit me up all these different ways people always ask how to contact me they're all in the end but deadrabbitradio at gmail.com is probably the quickest way um would you if it was possible for you or in the youtube comments of course as well is it Two things. If we could capture these paranormal animals, sorry, if we could possibly <laughs> capture these paranormal entities, should we? And if we can, should we put them on public display? Should we have them in exhibit houses <laughs> with bars and charge admission and balloons in the shape of these guys, but not a zoo? Should we do that? Yay or nay? That's your homework for this. <laughs> okay, I'll admit this is a pretty lazy ending. I'm like, ah, you decide. You decide how to end it. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm so glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.